Heavenly Father, you created us and you continually recreate us. And I pray, would you do that miraculous work by the power of your spirit, through your word, and through this time that we dedicate to you, Lord, as we dedicate ourselves, uh, change us that we might become more and more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, now with that prayer, I'm going to do something completely unspiritual uh, at all. And I want to go back to a generation where I grew up in the 80s. And uh, we did have music in the 80s, uh, by the way. I don't know if you're familiar with some of that. That was back when MTV actually played music um, on their station. And uh, I just wanted to do this today. So this is a participatory part of the message. I'm going to give you uh, the title of a song. And what I want you to do is who sang that song. All right. So that's your job is what band, what artist uh, played this song. And so we're going to start working for the weekend. Everybody's worked. I heard it. Lover boy. There you go. Nice job. There's lover boy, by the way, in case you wanted to see what they look like back in the 80s. That's lover boy. Everybody working for the weekend. How about this one? Couple days off. All I want is a couple. Huey Lewis and the news. There they are uh, right there in case you are familiar with that song at all. Like some of you are two for two. You're like, I have no idea. I am bombing 80s trivia here. Well, there's one more I'm going to give you uh, today. I'm not going to try to sing this one. Manic Monday. The Bengals. There you go. And there are the Bengals with their hair and everything um, up there as well. And you're like, okay, that was sort of fun. Why on earth are we pulling out 80s bands um, from there? Well, they all had something in common. If you can think about it for just a minute, they all talked about really work, right? Or, or more importantly, like how much we dislike work. Like, and so oh, it's manic Monday because, oh, it's back to Monday. And here we go again. I got to make it through. And all I want is a couple days off. That's all I am. All I am is working for the weekend. And so you look at those kind of songs and it's like, well, that just typifies the culture. That's where songs come from. They sort of lift up sort of the spirit of the culture during that time and say, this is the way people feel. And so that's why those songs were so popular back then, because that sort of fit everybody's mindset of what work was for. And I thought, well, maybe that was just an 80s thing. Well, no, that's been around for a long, long time. I don't know the origin of this. If some of you know, I would love to know this. It's I O I O. So it's off to work, I go. Woo, boy, that's motivating, isn't it? Doesn't that just inspire you to greatness at work? I'm like, where on earth did we get this idea that work is a drudgery? And it's something that, man, I just, as soon as I can get out of it, I am. I'm going to do the bare minimum possible so I can get right back to what I really want to do with my own life. And it's so wonder that if you've seen some of the surveys, and they get misquoted a lot. Some of you might have heard that 85% of the people uh, hate their jobs. You know, some people quote that. I found this uh, Gallup poll, and this is what it actually says. It's 15% of the world's 1 billion workers are engaged at work. So only 15% are like, man, I'm, I'm passionate about what I am doing. I love my work. I love what I have, which leaves then that 85% of like, oh, man, I cannot wait for the weekend. I just need a couple of days off. Oh, it's a manic Monday now, followed by Prozac Tuesday. And so here is what's going on um, with all of that. So you look at that, like, what kind of world uh, do we live in that there's that level of dissatisfaction in our world? Well, that's what we want to speak into today. 
I was mindful I had a conversation uh, with somebody on a cruise ship, and I've shared a little bit of the story before, but it was one of those I felt guilty for because I wasn't paying for it. Somebody paid my uh, weekend cruise, and so I was like, ah, I don't feel good about doing that. I don't feel like I'm owed a cruise. And so I prayed, like, God, just whatever you want to do, uh, you can use me on the cruise. I'm yours, whatever you need me to do. And that's a really, really dangerous prayer to pray because um, I did feel used on that cruise because very quickly I was a pastor and somebody found out and all these stories came. But one uh, young girl came to me. She, I saw her. She was over there and I was over by just hanging out by the pool and she was hanging and having a whole bunch of party with her friends. And, and so she sort of walks over and, and sits by me and she goes, hey, I, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm like, Okay, sure. And she goes, I heard you were a pastor. I'm like, oh, okay. I've, evidently the word got out on the cruise that here's the guy. And she goes, I just want to, I'm like, okay, what do you want to talk about? She goes, I, I, I'm just sort of struggling with my work. I'm like, okay, so what do you do? She goes, I, I just graduated from nursing school and I got a sweet gig. I got a great job. It's a lot of paying. It's a great hospital. And everybody says, this is a wonderful job. I said, so what's the problem? It's not like it's much of a problem. She goes, well, I don't really want to work there. I said, so what do you, what do you want to do? She goes, what I really want to do is I want to work for hospice. I want to be around people on their last days. And I want to help those people and love those people and serve those people. And, and I want to help the families of those people that are saying goodbye to their loved ones in their last hours. And I, I feel like I've got some, I feel like that's what I really want to do. I said, so why don't you do that? She goes, well, because my parents sort of think I'm crazy for doing that because I can make a lot of money uh, during this nursing and, and they think I should at least spend a few years and, and do the hospital thing first and do all that and, and not just jump right into hospice. And, and I said, so well, what else? What are your friends saying? Well, your friends, uh, my friends think I'm crazy because why would you give walk away from that kind of money? You're never going to make a lot of money doing a hospice kind of nursing kind of thing. And there's not much uh, advancement in that place. So, you know, why don't you just do the hospital thing and who knows what, what's going to do? And so she goes, I just don't know what to do. And, and I said, so what do you really, really want to do? And she goes, I really want to do hospice. I said, so why don't you do that then? Because I tell you, there's nothing more miserable than going through life just chasing after some more money if that's what you want or the next rung on the ladder if that's what you're going after. You'll be miserable. And, and you'll be one of these 15 or 85% of the people that are totally disengaged uh, from what they do. And so what I want to do this morning is sort of bust a few myths to start with and then sort of dive into Scripture and, and see what God has to say uh, about all uh, of these. And I, and I think out of all of these myths, this first one I think is so prevalent because somehow we've made my job all about me. <laughs> and, and I tell you, when your job is all about you, you're going to be miserable. That's just where that's going to lead. Because if it's all about you, then it's all about your job satisfaction and how I feel and, and what's going on with me and how much I'm getting paid and all of these other kind of things come in. If it's all about you, um, you will get miserable. And this is what so many people end up doing. They spend so much of their time miserable in their lives because they think their career is all about them. And it's not. It's just the opposite, as we'll discover in just a little bit. But to go back to our, our Deuteronomy lesson, this is what uh, he said. So again, to give you some context, Moses, um, he knows like his time is limited. And so he's taking all of God's instruction and giving it to him. God is pouring into him and he's pouring into these people. And, and this is what he said. He said, remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's he who's got that unique calling. He's given you a unique ability uh, to work and to do something. This is a godly thing. He's given you that ability. Don't forget that because this confirms his covenant, which he swore to you and to your ancestors as it is today. I was doing a little devotion with uh, my daughter and he was using marbles as an analogy. 
And he said, so this guy has a huge barrel of marbles and he, every morning he picks up a marble and he prays. He said, God, today is a gift from you and I want to use it for your glory. And so help me to do that. And so then I take and I put that marble in my pocket and I carry it around with me all day long. And I get to the end of the day and I pull out that marble and I ask God, I said, how'd I do today, God? Where did I excel in giving you glory and honor and praise? And, and where did I fall short? And forgive me for that falling short and help me to do better tomorrow. And he places that in another jar. And slowly but surely those marbles dwindle and these marbles grow. And he said, it, it makes me mindful is that every day is a gift from God. And I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the glory of God. My job is not about me. And one of the other myths that so many people fall into is that if I just had uh, some more money, that would equate to more happiness. And some of you have done this before to your own detriment, that you've chased uh, a job and you left a good, healthy environment to chase another job with a little bit more money. And all of a sudden you found yourself in a really sick, uh, toxic environment. You're like, oh man, I, I should have never left, but I've get more money. And all of a sudden that money is not bringing you satisfaction anymore. Money never brings more happiness, but so many people live their lives chasing after just that next raise, somehow that that is going to give you satisfaction in your soul, and it never does. And this has been a, a disaster for generations. In fact, Paul wrote to his young pastor, protege, Timothy, and he wrote this about, well, some of you know the other part of the verse, but I want to start in verse 9. Those who want to get rich, and if that's your goal, chasing after the next promotion, the next raise, so I can get a little bit more money in my bank account. For those that want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And some of you could give testimonies about that. Yeah, I've lived that out. I've seen that happen in my own life. And then he goes on. This is Some of you know this verse. But the love of money... Money's not evil in itself. Money is amoral. There's nothing intrinsic good in it or evil in it. It's just amoral. But it's the love of it that's the root of all kinds of evil. For some people, and how sad is this, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, this is the danger of, of loving money, that I'm going to put all my eggs and I'm going to chase the money basket, and, and then I'm going to wander away from Jesus and eternal life and salvation and the peace and the forgiveness that Jesus gives to me as a free gift. I'm walking away from all of that so I can chase after another dollar. And how sad is that? And yet so many people live their lives that way. I think the third myth that people fall into is I'm stuck. I'm just stuck in this job. Uh, there's no way. I guess this is just all that's all I can do. And this is I'm always going to be this way. And I'm always going to be in this sort of dead end job and this dead end place and this toxic environment. And, and that's me. And, and there's something about me that always bothers me when it's just this is the only option you have to quit or to be there. I'm like, no, I think there's some other options. You know, why don't you go out and look for another job and pray that God opens up other opportunities? Why don't you start networking with some people and get to know some other folks and, and see if there's another option out there and then you can take it if you want to. But you're not stuck by any stretch of the imagination. And yet so many people have this fatalistic understanding that, no, I guess where I'm at, this is where I'm supposed to be. And if God wants me to move, then he'll get me out of there. Well, maybe God's way of getting you out of there is for you to start being proactive and getting out of that environment and doing some things and getting yourself in a healthy place. I, I, 
think a lot about this, and I want to share this verse. And even as I share this, I, I know like some people buy into this, and it's going to seem to refute what I just said. But look at Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And a lot of people look at that and go, well, I guess if he does whatever he wants, I guess he's got me where he wants me, and I'm just going to stay here. Well, the problem with that is, is, is one, you don't know what pleases him. And you don't know the mind of God. We can't understand and comprehend how God is orchestrating all of history and all of the people in the universe and how God is bringing all that together for his glory and for his kingdom's sake. We don't have that understanding. And so we don't know that. It's impossible for us to know that. But by the same token, we can't just sit and and say, well, I guess if this is what God wants, this is what God wants. I'll just be miserable. That's my lot in life. Because even Paul wrote to slaves. He said, if you can free yourself from slavedom, free yourself. That's a godly thing to do. It's okay to better yourself. It's okay to move on and, and do things. But we have to do that. And this is the messiness of following Jesus. That we just have to admit, God, you're in control of all things. And I, I don't know your will and your understanding. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that you help and bring people around me to help discern that. But I don't get it and I don't understand everything. And I'm okay with the mess because I'm trusting you at the end of the day. But I'm going to do everything I can um, to do what I feel like I need to do and ask you to walk with me in the midst of that. I remember the first time I began to wrestle with this. My uh, grandmother, who lived to be 101 years old, late in her life, I, I used to ask God, like, God, why, why are you allowing her to live like this long because <laughs> she spent the last couple years you know in a nursing like she couldn't get out of bed on her own and she couldn't really talk much on her own anymore and I thought I'm not sure like this is this is really life and God she's lived a great great life and, and I tell you my my this is my dad's mom my grandmother she uh, my dad was born in 1922 and uh, he had an older sister as well so she had two kids in 1922 and her husband was an alcoholic and became very abusive and so she decided to do something that not a lot of people did back in that day. I'm leaving. And she left him and divorced him. And so she was on her own in the early 1920s. And she was working and trying to support her uh, two kids and, and just doing whatever she could to survive. And for some of you who are history buffs, you know what happened in uh, when 1927, the Great Depression hit. And she struggled through that and provided for her family and, and did all that. Incredible, independent woman that did miraculous kind of things to support for her family. And that's really the woman I got to know uh, as my grandmother, just a very strong, independent woman. And, and even into her 90s, she was still living in the same home that, I, that she had known for most of her life <laughs> and was getting around sharp as a tack, could do everything that she needed to do. And, and at 95, uh, she had broken a hip and had fallen. And she went to the hospital and they replaced the hip and she rehabbed that, got back home and miraculously, like she's back to, you know, a little slower than what she was, but miraculously just getting around like, man, that is amazing. This woman is like bionic woman. This is amazing. And then a couple of years later, uh, she had broken the other hip and had fallen and they did surgery again. But this time she really didn't recover from that. And so it was pretty evident that we needed to get her some, some uh, regular care. And so we, we had assisted living and then that wasn't enough when her health was deteriorating. And so we had, had her in a nursing home. And it was that time I'm sort of struggling. I'm like, here, I've seen this strong, independent woman, God, and here she is just lying in a bed. I, I'm not sure, like this is the best use of her, her life. And I remember wrestling with God with that. And I didn't hear him speak, but I had this thought because I, I went one time with my dad. 
And, and I was over there with my dad, and I'd watch my dad pick up his mom in his hands, take her over to the bathroom, and then give her a shower and dress her and comb her hair and bring her back and feeding her food. And I could hear just God, you know, maybe one of the reasons I have for her living so long is so that your dad had an opportunity to honor his mom and to thank her for all the sacrifice she made throughout her life. Or John, maybe I've kept her alive this long so that you have an opportunity to see your dad love and honor a woman the way she should be honored and loved. I don't know why she lived to be 100. She outlived my dad. (laughs) I don't know why. I might never know why. But I'm mindful that there is a God behind the why who knows why. (laughs) And that's the God I'm going to trust in. And I'm mindful that even Job, who had everything taken from him, his family, even his health away, and then it's all restored. And he comes like, God, why? What was the purpose of all of that? All of that suffering, all of that turmoil. And God answers him, but he never answers the question. We might never know. But I do know we're not stuck. That God has a a purpose and a plan for our lives. And that work is a part of that. Our vocation is a part of that. We have a calling from God to serve this world. I tell you, Martin Luther, um, hence the name Lutheran Church, that's where that came from. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, he wrote more about vocation. Because back in his day, pretty much anybody who was called, that was for reserved for priesthood. And those who were called into full-time ministry. Those are the ones who are called. And so you didn't hear that in his day. Like teachers are called and, and educators, you know, called and, and professors and, you know, whatever. Doctors are called. And, and so he wrote a lot about vocation. And one of the great books that talked about his work uh, was written by Gene Veith. And it's called God at Work. And it's wonderful. For those of you who love reading, I encourage you to read it. I just want to read you a paragraph out of that book because I feel like some of you might be in this situation. A woman told me about getting involved in a Bible study that demanded strict commitment to the study of God's word. You should make the Bible your number one priority, she was told. That meant getting up early the very first thing in the morning and doing a Bible reading and having a quiet time with the Lord. She did this, but to her consternation, every morning as she would start to read her Bible, the baby would wake up. She found herself resenting the interruption Here she was trying to spend time with God and the baby would start fussing, demanding to be fed and distracting her attention away from spiritual things. After a while, though, she came to understand the doctrine of vocation. Taking care of her baby was what God at that moment was calling her to do. Being a mother and loving and serving her child was her vocation, her divine calling from God. She could read the Bible later. She did not have to feel guilty that she was neglecting spiritual things. Taking care of her baby is a spiritual thing. And so how do we get our mind uh, around what does it mean to be called by God? And just four things very quickly I'm going to share with you. The first thing is God calls everyone, even non-believers. That God has a purpose and a plan from creation. He designed work and he's, uh, he gives everybody unique gifts and talents. And it's fun to read through scripture and, and see that God orchestrates all this. The stonemakers, the masons, all the, all the different people. God puts all those people together and he still does that today. Yesterday my wife uh, came home last night 
and we're over at DFW waiting for that international, you know, terminal for them to get through customs and the door to open. And every time the door would open, my daughter and I were sitting there like, is this going to be mom? Nope, nope. <laughs> and we're just we're waiting for that to happen. And in sort of that, you know, moment as we're just waiting for her, I, I find myself being very thankful. Oh my God, thank you that, that you called pilots that can take a plane up to 30,000 feet and fly from Jamaica to Dallas. And thank you for those flight attendants that keep everybody safe in case of emergencies and, and serve everybody so well, as was the case in one of the planes that came back from Jamaica. Three of our team members got diverted to Cancun for medical emergency. I'm so thankful, God, that you have flight attendants that take care of those kind of things. And all the air traffic controllers that are part of that, and the mechanics that keep these planes running well, and the people that put the fuel in the planes, and they take care of all of those things. I just found myself being so incredibly thankful. God, I'm thankful that you call everybody, even non-believers, because I imagine some of those people that I just mentioned are not followers of Jesus. But man, God has called them. Aren't you glad when you go to the doctor and you're sick that God calls some people into the medical profession? Aren't you glad that God calls teachers? I think all of us can probably point to one teacher at least that made a difference in our lives that really spoke. And aren't you glad that God called? Not all of my teachers were followers of Jesus. But man, I'm so glad that God called them into that. I'm so glad that God calls first responders, especially, you know, you think about what happened in El Paso yesterday and early this morning in, in, uh, in Ohio and in, in, uh, Dayton, Ohio. I'm so thankful that there are people who step into the, the evil and the mess of life and put their lives on the line to protect the rest. So thankful for that. God calls everyone, even non-believers. God also has multiple callings on your life. I have multiple callings on my life. I, I feel called to be a pastor. I love that. I feel called to this church. I love uh, this place. I'm also called to be Margaret's husband. That is my calling uh, on my life as well. And that's every bit as important as my calling as a pastor. I am a dad to Isabella. That is a, a strong calling. Uh, nobody, she doesn't get another dad. I'm it. <laughs> that's bad in some cases, but I'm it. That's all she has. <laughs> And so that's a calling that I have on my life. I'm called to be a friend uh, and good friend to a lot of friends that I have in, in my life. And I'm, I'm called to be a neighbor and to people that are around me. And I'm called to, to serve. I've got lots of callings on my life. And there's not one that's more important than, than the other. God calls us and gives us multiple callings in our life. I had a lady one time came to me and she goes, you know, I, I feel God calling me into the mission field. I said, really? So what are you going to do? She goes, well, I've already decided. I'm, I'm going to divorce my husband, and I'm going to leave my kids, and I'm going to go serve in the mission field. I said, I'll, I'll guarantee you God's not calling you to the mission field. <laughs> she goes, how can you be so certain? Because God would not call you to abandon and forsake uh, a commitment that you made to your husband and to your kids. This is not the will of God. And so you might go in a mission field, and that's fine. You might feel that you want to go, but don't blame that on God. <laughs> That's you wanting to do that. God can put anybody on the mission field he wants to, and he'll do it in a way that brings glory and honor to his name. Uh, you leaving your family is not bringing glory to the name of God. <laughs> God has multiple callings on your life, and it's not like one is better than the other. And so many people mask this, I'm following Jesus and doing what he wants me to do and forsaking commitments that, that God uh, wanted them to keep. Move on. <laughs> God calls us to serve our, our neighbor. Our, our job is not about ourselves. Our, our job is to serve. That's why God gave us those gifts. The world needed that. He needs people. He needs all of us to be engaged in the world because the world is a mess and he needs us to engage in that world. This is why Jesus spoke about this when he told the parable. He said, I, I tell you, whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. 
See, I mean, I'm just doing accounting. You're not just doing accounting. You're doing that for me. You're serving God. That's what you're doing. This is what I gifted you to do. I called you to do that. I'm not really doing much. I'm, I'm just, no, you're not just. You just need to eradicate that from your vocabulary. You're not just doing anything. I'm serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in this position, in this time of what I'm doing. Finally, the last one. God calls us to live in freedom. And this is the one I put this last because I really want this one to, to sink in and, and resonate with you. I'm so mindful of the fact that I think so many people um, don't want to follow Jesus because they've seen other followers of Jesus be miserable. And they look like some of the most miserable people on the planet. Oh, I have to. I'd like to do that, but I can't. I'm not allowed to, and I, I shouldn't do that, and I have to do this. And, and you're like, why would you want to follow Jesus? You look miserable. Why would anybody want that? And so most of the world, and I've had these conversations with people, no, I don't want to follow Jesus. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own, I want to make my own decisions because that's where freedom is. I'm like, no, 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 you don't have a market on freedom. <laughs> Jesus has a market on freedom. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died that we might be set free. Jesus came to set us free. That's why he died. That's why he rose again, that we might be set free from everything. So I don't have to do anything. <laughs> but God is unique calling. Christians should be the most passionate, free, loving people on the face of the earth. You should walk into work tomorrow. And people should be like, oh, wow, you're the only one who likes this place. Everybody else thinks this is the worst job in the world. Why are you so happy? Because Jesus has set me free. I'm not serving myself. I'm not serving a boss. I am serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm here, and as long as God has me here, I'm going to serve him with freedom and joy. And this crept in early on in the church. And Paul wrote to a little church called Galatia. And, and they were following like, oh, Jesus set us free. How thankful he forgave us our sins. I love Jesus. And then slowly but surely, it began to crept in where this law, and you, know, you have to follow. Well, it's good to follow Jesus, but you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. And, and you could just sort of see like, oh, I used to like following Jesus. Now I don't like it so much anymore. And so Paul writes to them, and the whole book is wonderful. I encourage you to read the whole thing. I just want to give you one verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. <laughs> it is for freedom, not for slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's not I owe, I owe, so off to work, I go. No, you have been set free. And your calling is unique as a follower of Jesus because I don't have to do it. And God has called me to do this. What a wonderful calling on our lives. God calls us to step into chaos and bring his order. This is what God did at the very creation of the world, by the way. And I love this. You read in creation that the world was chaos and it was out of order. And God, what does God do? He speaks into that and he separates light and darkness and, and then the, the land and the water and then the expanse of the sky and, and he brings order into the chaos. And what I love about that is Jeremiah picks that up. A prophet later uses the exact same phrase in Genesis when he looks at the world and its brokenness and its evil and its sinfulness and the, the, just an abandoned God and he says, it's all chaos and disorder. And he uses that same phrase again. But we live in a world that is the same way. It's full of chaos. And God calls us to step in. This is what God calls you to do. I've called you to step in and bring order where there's chaos. 
And we don't need more shootings. We don't need people taking their own lives. We don't need more people hurting and suffering. We don't need more brokenness and divorce. We need more followers of Jesus who are living in freedom, who aren't afraid to step into a mess and help bring order and peace into the world. That's what he's called us to do. That's what our world needs. Thank you. So how do you know? How do you know that you're living out as a called follower of Jesus? How do you know that you're living out your vocation? How do you know when you're doing it right? Well, you know you're doing it right when you can give yourselves for the service of our neighbor, for the glory of God. That's how you know you're doing it right. When I get up in the morning and I said, man, today, God, I'm going to give myself for the service of my neighbor, for your glory. That's when you know you're doing it right. And whatever you need to do, you need to print that down and put it up on your refrigerator, on your mirror in the morning, put it on your phone so it's the first thing you look at in the morning. Or get yourself a whole bowl full of marbles. And every day, take it out and go, man, today, God, how can I give myself for my neighbor, for your glory and for your kingdom's sake? Because that is my unique calling as a follower of you, Jesus. And I want to do that because the world needs that. That's why you set me here to do this, God. You have a plan and a purpose. And it's not because I owe, so it's off to work I go. It's because you've set me there, God. And I want to make a difference in the world. I want people to be set free. I want people to experience the freedom I have. So God, help me to live in that freedom and help me to live out as a called servant of yours.